Good morning. Thank you, Mandy. Well, I think that you guys look fantastic in your Christmas pajamas. Uh, and I want to welcome you here to the SSV. Welcome to those of you who are watching online who might also be in your Christmas pajamas. Um, we are so grateful that you are here. Um, we've been taking pictures this morning. Keely and I have gotten in a couple of pictures because I wanted to make sure people knew that I understood the assignment. Some of you, um, you are just feeling us out a little bit and you like heard the announcement that we were gonna wear Christmas jammies and you didn't believe us. So you came in your regular clothes because you had a trauma experience from your you know, middle school years where you thought it was crazy hair day and it wasn't, you know, those moments. But you guys look fantastic and I love to see it. As I've been scrolling through social media the past couple weeks, you know, you start to see people's pictures of their Christmas decorations. Um, maybe you're like our family. We have the picture of our kids that we took many, many years ago, and then each year we make them do the same pose over and over. Uh, I have started to notice in the last couple of years they've gotten a little more attitude about that picture. Um, they've gotten a little bit, you know, I've, my little one isn't a baby on somebody's hip anymore, you know, so it's really cute to see all of those pictures. I also love the Christmas memes and videos. Um, here's one that I've come across a couple of different times. Um, it's Mary, exhausted, having just gotten Jesus sleep, is approached by a young man who thinks to himself, what this girl needs is a drum solo. <laughs> or what about this one? Uh, you see Mary and Joseph, and uh, they're visited by the three visitors for the each. I feel like there's some theological issues with this meme, but Mary responds, no diapers, and it says at the bottom, the first and last male-sponsored baby shower. <laughs> and today, as we sit here on this Christmas Eve, I want us to take a moment to go to that moment of Jesus' birth. And maybe if she had some church ladies around her, it may have been like this. Take a look at this video. It's cold. Mary, you don't have a hat. Feel these feet. This baby's head is cold. It's cold. Mary, you don't have a hat. Feel these feet. They're like, he needs socks. Mary, you have socks for this baby. Feel these feet. They're freezing. You know, the wise men said they were going to bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we were like, uh-uh. We're going to get there before you because this baby needs bibs, blankets, and booties. Okay, has your milk come in? It hadn't. It's okay. We got you some sugar water. Now listen, it's none of my business, but y'all might want to find a room because on our way over here, we passed a drummer boy. He really didn't know about this trip. He couldn't call ahead. He couldn't. Okay. All he had was a donkey. People are going to be like, Mary, did you know? Don't be shy. Don't be, oh, 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 because it's just going to keep going. Okay, people are going to go back and be like, she didn't know. And people are going to keep going like, Mary, did you know? And everybody's going to keep asking you, Mary, did you know? Just go ahead and say, I did. Okay, because you did. Okay? Yeah, don't, don't be coy. Don't be, just be like, I did. <laughs> I love to think about this moment for Mary. Now, Mary likely did not have church ladies bringing her uh, bibs and diapers, but I do want to take a look at what Mary did get that night. And we've been using this Advent season to talk about Jesus as the gift that keeps on giving. We've looked at the life of Jesus and how this Advent season, the expectation of the coming King, ushers forth the gift of Jesus. 
and that when Jesus comes, we get Jesus the Savior. We took a look at the story of Zacchaeus and how salvation came to his house the day that Jesus came over. We looked at Jesus the healer and the story of the woman with the issue of blood, how she had a need. She was desperate and she reached out to touch Jesus's robe and he had compassion on her and healing came to her. Jesus, the wonderful counselor, looking at the story of Mary and Martha and what's important and how we abide with Jesus. And throughout this series, we've looked at the stories of Jesus interacting with different people and how he brings something, salvation, healing, counsel, and how those stories could be our stories how Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving and what he brings to the lives of the people in the Bible, he can also bring to our lives. And I was thinking about these stories. I was thinking about Zacchaeus and the woman with the issue of blood and Mary and Martha, and I was thinking about, what about that first moment, the first earthly interaction that Jesus has, the moments where he's with his mom, Mary, the teenage girl who nine months prior to Jesus's birth has an encounter with an angel that charts her course toward a completely extraordinary life, a 100% unique experience. And we can read about that encounter in Luke 1 where an angel comes to Mary and tells her that she's favored and that the Lord is with her and that she shouldn't be afraid, but she's going to become the virgin mother of the Son of God. And she responds so well. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. But that's before Mary's actual encounter with Jesus. And so today I want to fast forward in the story and I want to go to the, to the place where Mary is in fact pregnant and now has to travel to Bethlehem. So join me in Luke 2 where we read of Mary's first encounter with Jesus in a sermon I'm calling the Incarnational Jesus. Luke 2, beginning at verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Verse 7 says, And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Now, just so you know, the next verse begins this way. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Friends, I feel very certain that there was more to what was happening in the stable. She wraps the baby, places him in the manger, and that's all the info we have? Now, you may be wondering, you may be saying, well, Shannon, maybe the other Gospels have more information about Mary's first encounter with her first baby. Well, the Gospel of Matthew, it goes from Joseph's encounter with the angel in Matthew 1 to the visitors from the east in Matthew 2. It's not in the book of John or in the book of Mark. This gift of Jesus, the gift that keeps on giving, delivered as a tiny baby to a teenage girl, has one verse, one verse dedicated to those first moments between Jesus and Mary. And today I want you to imagine with me what happens between verses seven and eight. With so little details to the story, 
What does Mary get when she interacts with Jesus? Between verses 7 and 8, here he is in the flesh, wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. I'm sure she felt so many emotions. Fatigue, excitement, nervousness, fatigue, fear, fatigue. I mean, put yourself in Mary's shoes for just a moment. You are an unmarried, pregnant Jewish teenager. There's a lot to unpack in just that line. She has a fiance, Joseph, the young father, and he's got to trust that his fiance is really pregnant by the Holy Spirit. We have a Roman politician who raises taxes so that they have to take this 80-mile journey, which is super inconvenient. And Mary gives birth in a town that isn't her own away from maybe her mom or her aunts or her family. And it's maybe in a stable or a cave or a spare room of a house. We really don't know exactly what the manger symbolizes. All of these are not ideal circumstances. And that's not even to get to the details of how King Herod and these Roman soldiers will soon start looking for this baby and the ridiculously difficult years that lie ahead of Mary and Joseph as the parents of Jesus. But between verses 7 and 8, I wonder if she also felt relief because God said what he would do and then he did it. She likely didn't know the ways that they would have to flee to Egypt or the challenges that lie ahead or even the eventual path to the cross, but she knew in that moment that Jesus was born just as the angel said. Because if we're honest, we might assume that Joseph might have still had some concerns. He might have had some questions about this miraculous birth. But Mary, she would have known for sure. Mary, in this stable, before the shepherds arrive, before the visitors from the east meet the toddler, before the young boy preaches in the temple, before the cross, she holds Jesus, the word made flesh, the incarnational Jesus. And and incarnation, that's a big church word, but it's an important church word, and I know our students are in here, so I want to break it down just a little bit. The incarnation means God with us. And the doctrine of the incarnation, it separates Christianity from other religions. It means God took human form in the body of Christ Jesus. Um, Billy Graham, uh, he tells this story about how to illustrate the incarnation. He says that one day he was walking along a sidewalk with his son, and they happened upon an anthill that was kind of knocked over. And as you know, if you knock over an anthill, like it's kind of chaos, and the ants start moving really quickly, and all sorts of stuff is going on. And his son said to him, he said, man, wouldn't it be nice if we could fix their anthill for them? And Billy responded to his son, he said, Well, we can't. We're too big and they're too small. We just can't do it from this size. But what if we could go down to their size? What if we could become like the ant, to go down and to break into that ant colony and help from the inside? And he said, that's kind of the example of the incarnation. Now, the incarnation is the underlying message of this simple one verse where Mary lays Jesus in the manger. It's the fulfillment of the promise of a savior that began back as far as Genesis 3:17. It's the fulfillment of what the prophets foretold in Isaiah, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a branch bearing fruit from the old root. God 
comes in. What does that mean? It means that God broke into our world through Jesus' birth. One world breaking into another world. Now we talk about this quite a bit, and Gino mentioned this chart in his sermon a couple of weeks ago, this idea of the kingdom here but not yet fully here. It's this moment where we have this, this, uh, this age, and then you can see on this line, Jesus Christ comes. That is the kingdom inauguration. This is the moment that we're referring to. Now, if you believe this, if you believe this chart, the result is the most wonderful gift of all gifts. It's the grand miracle. The result of the incarnation is a revolutionized view of everything. If God has come in, if he has broken into this world, we live with this chart, or more specifically, we live with the incarnation in mind. And that has implications on all sorts of things. And today, I want to highlight three big ways that the incarnation revolutionizes our worldview. The first way that the incarnation revolutionizes our worldview is it changes our view of suffering. Suffering is a huge problem, whether you're an atheist or a believer or somewhere in between, you cannot escape suffering. We simply can't get past pain. It arrests our thinking. We ask questions like, why doesn't God stop suffering? Why doesn't God stop pain? Why doesn't he wipe out disease? And this uh, thought process is, is not often exposed as like, well, Jesus is here to make all our dreams come come true. Well, we don't usually say it that way, but we feel this when we, when we can't understand or when we get upset when there's suffering or tragedy when it comes our way. Where is God in this tragedy? Where is God in my suffering? Where, where is God in my messed up, broken life? But in the incarnation, God has come in the form of Jesus and is subject to the same terrors and tragedies that we experience. If you believe in the incarnation, God shows you that he was willing to voluntarily come to earth and experience suffering and pay the penalty of sin. That he chose to go through it to destroy it. God loves you so much and he hates suffering so much that he was willing to send his son, incarnate Jesus, so he could save you and defeat sin. Jesus comes to address the human condition. And this means that when we get sick or when we experience suffering or when others get sick or others experience suffering, we know through the incarnation that suffering and pain doesn't mean that God has left us. And that's different from other religions. When we experience suffering, we can look through the eyes of the incarnation to understand that suffering doesn't ultimately come upon us because we've done something bad or we've messed up. We have a theology for pain and suffering. The perfect Jesus suffered. Jesus felt pain and heartache and sorrow. If we go back to our slide, the incarnation helps us put pain and suffering in the right box, the already and not yet. And it helps us put it in that box for the right amount of time, from Jesus's birth until his return. Your pain and suffering exist in this in-between time, but it won't last forever. There is a second coming where every tear of yours will be wiped away, where sickness will be defeated forever, the already and the not yet. 
Secondly, the incarnation changes our view of this earthly life. Jesus became physical. The incarnate Jesus experienced the physical world. It demonstrates that Jesus cared about the physical world. God just didn't say, you know what, that was kind of a bust. I better start over. He instead chose and is choosing to renew the earth. By sending Jesus to experience this physical world, we also get a real example of how we should experience and interact with this physical world. Jesus demonstrated through his teachings and the way that he lived his life that he cared about the poor and the injustice that exists in this world. Different from other religions that describe that this world doesn't matter, that we have time and space and then we rot in the ground. Jesus' incarnation demonstrates something different. Jesus' incarnation says that what we do with our money and our resources, it matters. Taking care of the earth matters. Taking care of our physical bodies matter. How we treat others, how we stand up for the weak, it matters. How we steward this life that we've been given. Jesus walked this earth as the incarnate Jesus to demonstrate how to do it. And we must remember, Christians or not, that we will be asked to give an account for how we stewarded the gifts that God has given us during this physical life. Students, you are on mission in your school. God has placed you there with your unique gifts and talents. And the way that you teach your te treat your teachers and the kids in the lunchroom and the quirky kids, that all matters. The way that you use your talents and the way that you act and respond and develop characteristics that reflect Jesus. God has placed you on this earth with specific and specialized missions. Only you can do what God has called you to do. Seniors, you are still very much on mission. God has given you purpose and vision and abilities to give back to others. Your wisdom and your character in this third act of life are consequential. Parents, spouses, employees working in different businesses and organizations, we are all going to be asked to give an account of how we lived this life. As Jesus walked this earth, when he broke into this world, he consistently demonstrated the importance of the upside-down kingdom of justice and mercy. He demonstrated humility and kindness and love and forgiveness, and we're called to do the same. The incarnation changes our view of this earthly life. Lastly, the incarnation changes our view of the future. When Jesus broke into the world through his birth to a virgin teenager, Christ demonstrated that he can break into your life. Now, the incarnation makes you realistic. We know to expect suffering and pain because even Jesus Christ experienced it. We know to expect to fight against the injustice of the world because this earthly world matters. We know we're going to have to do the hard work of standing up for the weak and the poor. The incarnation also says, though, of all people, of all people, Christians have or should have the most hope. Anything can happen through you. Nothing is impossible. Look at what he did with Mary at the incarnation. Look at what happened when Mary said, I am your servant. The incarnation is intervention. It's God breaking in. Not just so Mary could have an experience with Jesus, but so that we could have an experience with Jesus. That broken part of your life is not impossible for God. 
that hopeless relationship, that addiction, that trauma, that secret, nothing is impossible for God. And the incarnation allows us to have hope for the future. God broke into the world and he can break into your life. And this gift of hope is truly a gift that keeps renewing. When I mess up, his mercies are new every morning. When I'm a prodigal daughter, he welcomes me back and prepares a feast for me. And when you feel like you have made unforgivable mistakes, Jesus stretches out his arms wide on the cross and takes the penalty for your mistakes, making you white as snow. You can have hope for the future because Jesus broke in. And the incarnation is the gift that anchors us and keeps, us giving, keeps on giving. It revolutionizes the Christian life. Now, as I close this morning, I wanna share a video for my younger friends because we're all in here this morning and I wanna make sure that um, everyone here understands that this gift of Jesus' incarnation, it matters to all of us, young and old. And so for my kids who are in the room, I have this video for you, but actually um, for the adults, this is a video that is from one of my favorite Bibles. Um, it's a well-loved Bible, as you can see from our house. Uh, this is the Jesus Storybook Bible, and I encourage you, if you do not have this Bible, if you have kids, um, you should get this, this book. It's fantastic. But I read it sometimes, too, because I just love how this particular Bible version uh, it speaks to the Great Rescue Plan how God is working to rescue his entire world. And as we listen to this story, as we watch this video, I want to invite you to consider what it looks like for you that God has come to live with us and how the incarnational Jesus revolutionizes our view of everything. He's here. Everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people just as he promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? Mountains would have bowed down, seas would have roared, trees would have clapped their hands. But the earth held its breath. As silent as snow falling he came in. And when no one was looking, in the darkness, he came. There was a young girl who was engaged to a man named Joseph. Joseph was the great, 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 great grandson of King David. One morning, this girl was minding her own business when suddenly a great warrior of light appeared, right there in her bedroom. He was Gabriel. And he was an angel, a special messenger from heaven. When she saw the tall, shining man standing there, Mary was frightened. You don't need to be scared, Gabriel said. God is very happy with you. Mary looked around to see if perhaps he was talking to someone else. Mary, Gabriel said, and he laughed with such gladness that Mary's eyes filled with sudden tears. Mary? You're going to have a baby, a little boy. You will call him Jesus. He is God's own son. He's the one. He's the rescuer. 
the god who flung planets into space and kept them whirling around and around, the god who made the universe with just a word, the one who could do anything at all, was making himself small and coming down as a baby. Wait, God was sending a baby to rescue the world? But it's too wonderful, Mary said, and felt her heart beating hard. How can it be true? Is anything too wonderful for God? Gabriel asked. So Mary trusted God more than what her eyes could see, and she believed. I'm God's servant, she said. Whatever God says, I will do. Sure enough, it was just as the angel had said. Nine months later, Mary was almost ready to have her baby. Now, Mary and Joseph had to take a trip to Bethlehem, the town King David was from. But when they reached the little town, they found every room was full. Every bed was taken. Go away, the innkeepers told them. There isn't any place for you. Where would they stay? Soon Mary's baby would come. They couldn't find anywhere except an old tumble-down stable. So they stayed where the cows and the donkeys and the horses stayed. And there, in the stable, amongst the chickens and the donkeys and the cows, in the quiet of the night, God gave the world his wonderful gift. The baby that would change the world was born. His baby son. Mary and Joseph wrapped him up to keep him warm. They made a soft bed of straw and used the animal's feeding trough as his cradle. And they gazed in wonder at God's great gift, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Mary and Joseph named him Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us, because, of course, he had.